to every American watching. Help is here. Signed, sealed, delivered. The latest American Rescue Plan is a go, this time without South Florida's bipartisan support. We're going to do 60 plus uh, starting on Monday. A surge in vaccine supply, a cause for optimism. A surge at the border, cause for concern. We'll get the variety of views from South Florida veteran congressmen. Very, very happy. South Florida Venezuelans celebrate new protections under TPS, but serious problems remain. We are running away from hunger, violence, political persecution. The big stories of the week live this week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. The latest COVID relief checks are beginning to land this weekend, and that is where we begin with our two guests, two South Florida members of Congress. South Florida's stake in the American Rescue Plan includes that direct cash, vaccines for all, relief and stimulus money for schools and businesses. The American Rescue Plan Act passed both houses of Congress by narrow margins without a single vote in favor from Republicans. They say this bill is larded with pork, delivers less than 10% of the money to actually fighting COVID-19, also adds nearly $2 trillion to the national deficit. Today, we are going to get the perspective on the bill from two veteran South Florida congressmen, one Republican, one Democrat, who split their votes on the relief bill. And we begin with Congressman Ted Deutsch, Democrat from Boca Raton. Great to see you, Congressman. Thanks for being with us. No, it's, it's really good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Congressman, good morning. Glad you were here. Uh, Congressman, uh, you obviously voted in favor of the American Relief Plan. You said it is our commitment to the health and financial success of Americans working families. It certainly is the largest piece of social welfare legislation the government has passed in 50 years. But it may have unintended consequences, rising interest rates, mortgage rates go up, inflation. I mean, that's a game changer, but in ways we may not know. Uh, well, it's great to be with you. It is a game changer, and it's, it's a game changer that we should celebrate. This is the way that government is supposed to work. It, there is bipartisan support. I can't speak for my colleagues who chose to vote against it, but I can tell you everywhere I go, Democrats and Republicans alike tell me they're so thrilled that Congress is finally doing what people want to be done, which is addressing a crisis. There are, uh, in this bill, so many things that will help people get back on their feet, that will help businesses thrive and, and rehire employees, that will get shots into arms, that will make sure that, that we're finally crushing the virus. We're gonna lift 27 million kids out of poverty. We're going to make sure, and this is the most important thing, Mike, I'll just finish with this. We're going to make sure that everyone understands how this benefits them. 85% of the households in America will see at least some direct payment. 95% of them will benefit at least in some way from the child tax credit. And 100% of Americans will benefit from a renewed focus on lifting us up, helping prevent people from being kicked out of their homes, addressing hunger, and dealing with the aftermath and an ongoing challenge of a pandemic that has killed over 535,000 
Americans, over 32,000 of them in Florida. This was a really significant step forward, and I'm really proud that Congress was able to do it. Congressman, th there is wide American support every poll shows for this act, and it does a lot of amazingly necessary things. I don't think anyone would dispute that. But I want to sort of piggyback off that question. This $1.9 trillion over the last year, since a year ago, March, this is the fourth or fifth package, stimulus package, we're at $8 trillion in the debt because of that, uh, and with really no guarantees that there won't be more necessary. So, so a lot of people are asking, long term, what's the plan to pay for that? Well, it's... People are, are right to ask what the impact of this is going to be, and the economists tell us it's going to put more money back into the uh, into the economy. Uh, it's going to wind up benefiting not just individual households, but the economy as a whole. Uh, that's going to be a positive. And, and the contrast, well, I, I think we just have to be honest about this, that the contrast between this piece of legislation, which helps virtually everyone in America from individuals to kids, seniors, people trying to get access to healthcare, businesses trying to get back on their feet after this pandemic, contrast that to the $2 trillion tax cut under the last administration that went overwhelmingly to the wealthiest, the most well-connected, the largest corporations. We finally have a Congress and a president and administration that acknowledge that we have to act in the best interest of America as a whole and not just yeah. the narrow special interests that for too long have been the focus of what happened in Washington, yeah. the best example being the, the Trump tax cut. Yeah. So well, Congressman, these are, these are things if, we need to work forward. Right, Congressman, excuse me, if I may, I think you're entirely sure. right. You know, the 2017 Trump tax cuts did benefit principally wealthy Americans and corporations. This money is going to help low and middle income Americans who to a large degree have been neglected by government. Let's look for a second if we can. You mentioned the children living in poverty, 27 million of them. This is the biggest game changer helping all these millions of children, $300 a month uh, per child or 360 for children under six. I mean, this is just an enormous uh, investment in these children. Well, it's an investment in, in children. It's an investment in our future as we invest in kids, because we all know, uh, everyone watching understands that uh, that when kids fall behind early in life, it, it's, it's an ongoing catch-up game that is just too difficult uh, for people to play. So we're making that kind of investment. And here in South Florida, there will be over a billion dollars coming to our local communities um, to do, to, to actually do what we all said we wanted to do. Michael and Glenna, we throughout this whole pandemic, we've we've focused on the frontline workers. We've talked about the importance of teachers and law enforcement, first responders, uh, the sanitation workers, people who have kept us going through this. Now we have the opportunity to actually show we mean it and ensure that cities won't lay them off because of the financial crisis that this pandemic has wrought. That's a really significant statement about who we are as a community and the kind of country that, that we're in. And I'm, I'm proud that we're able to do that as well. 
So one of the biggest criticisms that we're hearing from the Republican side and those who voted no was that they use the number, and, and I will just flat out say I have not calculated the percentage yet, so I'm just going to tell you what I hear them say, is that only 9 or less than 9% mm -hmm. of the, uh, the relief package and the $1.9 trillion package goes to actual COVID relief. Uh, to your point, stimulus is COVID relief and, and infrastructure building in a way is COVID relief and schools are COVID relief. So what is the president and vice president now this week when they go on their, their sales tour, what, what do they have to say to overcome that kind of opposition? And, and is it just that political and will it ever be overcome? Well, I, I think, I, I actually think that the question, I'm happy to answer the question, but the real question is, how is it that my Republican colleagues chose to oppose something that has the overwhelming majority of the American people, Democrats, Republicans, independents, uh, that will benefit, as I said before, 85% of American households will, will benefit from the direct payment, 95% uh, the child tax uh, credit, and 100% are gonna benefit from a, from a rising economy. I don't understand the effort to try to talk down this significant piece of legislation, which strengthens America, helps us get back on our feet, crushes the virus, gets people vaccinated, allows schools across the country to reopen safely. I, I'm not sure why anyone would want to be on the, the side that says we should not take any action to help our fellow yeah. Americans, to help our economy, to help the local communities and nonprofits and others who have worked so hard over the past year to help us get through this. Um, I think what you'll hear the president and vice president say over the course of the, the next week and really going forward is just simply to tout the fact that we finally have an administration that is committed to working with all Americans to help us get through this once Can and I for just all safely. Let yes. me just follow up on one thing. I, I don't think I don't think anyone is saying they don't want action taken. And, and forgive me, I'm just kind of challenging the narrative with the opposition here. What I hear is that all of this money is going toward things that are temporary and, and singular and non-recurring. And will that help? That's kind of well, what I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, first of all, I, I hope that that's a question when you, you have a chance to, to talk to people who voted against this. Uh, when they make that argument, I, I hope that you'll ask them that same question and why they supported Donald Trump's $2 trillion tax cut that benefited a tiny sliver of the American people and that the economist has shown did not do what the, the last president told us it was going to do. That's number one. Um, number two, in in this case, this isn't, uh, th this is a significant, I, I acknowledge, this is a bold plan, but this is a, a bold piece of legislation as we're we're working tirelessly to get through a pandemic, and uh, and that's why we need to act. This isn't this isn't just a a short term some uh, piece of legislation to get us through a, a couple of weeks. This is finally a serious effort to help us beat this virus once and for all and get our economy uh, going in exactly the way we all know that it can and we need it to. We're starting to come back. Why do we want to slow down? Let's help the people yeah. who need the help now. Let's help the businesses stay uh, stay on their feet and hire back more people. 
Um, and then let's let's look forward to working together as we go forward. That's that's exactly what this is. This is government doing what it's supposed to do, which is to look yeah. out for the whole of the American people and not just a, a tiny sliver of special interests. Yeah. Congressman Ted Deutsch, don't go anywhere. And you at home, stay right there. We'll be back with more questions for the congressman in just a minute. We are speaking this morning with Congressman Ted Deutsch, Democrat of Boca Raton. Congressman, uh, as you alluded to earlier, state of Florida is going to get a huge pot of money, $10 billion. And Governor DeSantis and the legislature have already indicated they want to decide how they're going to spend it. How ironic you have Republicans. I mean, I'm not putting down the Republicans, but Republicans voted against this bill. Now it's going to be Republicans in Florida who, to a large degree, decide how the money is going to be doled out. Well, uh, it is it is ironic. There's no doubt about that. Um, our our junior senator, in fact, said he doesn't want the money at all. He wishes he could just return it. Um, you mean Senator Scott? Senator Scott, which is a slap in the face to every Floridian uh, who understands that this is a piece of legislation that's going to help our state move forward. Look, um, we anticipated that we would have to deal with some governors like Governor DeSantis and some legislatures like our own. And that's why we wrote the bill in a way to prevent, for example, uh, to prevent the, uh, the Florida legislature uh, from using this money to to provide the kinds of, of tax breaks and giveaways uh, to the special interests that they're famous for. So we're going to be providing oversight here. The people of Florida will be watching closely. We're just not going to let Governor DeSantis uh, get away with using the money that's been sent to Florida to help all Floridians uh, in ways that will really only help him and the legislature's political um, allies. That's not going to happen. Well, as long as we're talking about the governor, that brings me a nice segue. Uh, the governor this week said to Floridians that it's very possible that by the end of next month, there might be enough of a vaccine supply for every Floridian of any age with or without comorbidities to get a vaccine. Uh, no set date yet, but I was thinking about watching the president this week talking about July 4th as a new Independence Day, and that's sort of the national, what, what he said is the national date for everyone to have vaccines and everyone to be able to be together and celebrate again. And I, I wonder what might that look like that's any different from what Florida does now as being a state that never shut down. What, what do you anticipate that looks like? Uh, well, look, Lena, the United States is obviously it's a, a big country. Different states have taken different approaches. But the one thing that I think we all acknowledge is that the, the pandemic has has made us all anxious. We've all been worried about our loved ones. We've all um, we, we all have in our own family or in our neighbors' families, seen grandparents who haven't been able to hug their their grandkids for a year at this point, or maybe now they just are because they're being vaccinated. So when the president gave what I thought was such an important speech to bring the country together, and which stood in such stark contrast to the the speeches that we heard over and over in the last administration that meant to to separate us one group from another, what the president was saying is. July 4th is something that we can look forward to. But along the way, as people get vaccinated, the CDC gives guidance on what can be done. Uh, we'll continue to, to move forward in ways that, that will make all of us feel comfortable and safe uh, and help the country move forward. 
quickly yeah. and strongly with a, a bold way forward. Yeah, Congressman, we have about 30 seconds left, but I want you to comment on the legislation which you voted for past the House that would put very much tighter controls on the sale of guns uh, at gun shows, closes the gun show loophole, uh, sales between individuals have to go through background checks. You represent Parkland. Uh, this is a step forward, you believe? There's no doubt it's a significant step forward. Uh, Michael, this is an issue that shouldn't be hard. People all across our country, all across uh, our community know that if you buy a gun, you should have to be subject to a background check so that we keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. That's what this is about. It, there's, there is no reason that we shouldn't be able to move forward and make sure that everyone has a background check. I want to thank the people of our community, especially the young people who, after the horrific shooting in Parkland, worked tirelessly to, to help us get a gun safety majority in the House and now in the Senate. We have to keep up the pressure on the Senate so that they'll move forward. Senator Schumer, as our leader Schumer has already said, he intends to bring this to a vote. We've got to get this done as a significant first step to keeping our communities, right. making our communities safer. We, That's we, we understand. Important. Congressman Ted Deutsch, always good to speak with you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks so much. Thanks to you both. All right, when we come back, the other side of the story, Republican Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart will join us with his perspective. The American Rescue Plan Act was supposed to be a bipartisan solution to the many problems caused by the pandemic. But every Republican in Congress voted against it, including Miami-Dade Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart. The Congressman joins us now live from Miami. Good morning, sir. Congressman, welcome. Glad to be with both of you. Great to see you. So I've been uh, reading your emails, doing a little research. I know you were very much against this. You voted no, the cost of it, the compounding cost of it, the fact that a certain percentage goes to actual COVID relief and the lack of bipartisanship. But because I really like to spread the love when I can, can is there anything you can get behind in this bill? Is there anything good that you support? There's a lot of things that I could have gotten behind. You know, we did five bipartisan COVID bills, five. Uh, very large bills that frankly helped save the economy and got the, the vaccine out, et cetera. Uh, this one, however, uh, has nothing to do with COVID. Let's get something straight. If, if if This should be called what it is. This is a giveaway to Pelosi's partners and friends. Less than 9% of this bill has anything to do with COVID. If this happened in the Philippines and Guatemala, we would call it, you know, graph and corruption. This is not a COVID bill. This is an everything but COVID bill, and that is why it's so unfortunate and so sad. By the way, that's why they had to do it in a partisan way, uh, unlike every single other bill, because it has so many things that are just frankly totally unacceptable, including it uh, does not allow states to lower taxes. There's a prohibition to get the money if the state wants to lower their taxes. There's a provision, by the way, uh, to try to make up for the damage that the executive orders have done to the economy and, and losing jobs. So there's a provision to try to make up for the jobs that are being lost. This is, again, if this was in any other country, it would be called graft or at least potentially even corruption. Can I yeah. just do a little bit of follow-up? I'm sorry. I just want to, when, when you say that there's absolutely nothing except, um, you know, pork. Less than 9% is what I said. Less oh. than 9% so, is COVID-related. Okay. All right. So relief to restaurants, the relief to the airlines, the, the checks to Less people than 9%. to pay mortgage. Less than 9%. Again, we could, we could harp on... 
you know, if you wanted to call this a uh, 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 help Pelosi's buddies with a little bit of COVID help, that would be accurate. But to call this a COVID bill, again, let, let's just get something straight for, to both of you and everybody watching. Less than 9%, you all know this, goes to anything having to do with COVID. So let's talk about why then we have this bill that they call COVID relief, which is a fraud, and when less than 9% goes to COVID relief. All right. If this happens anywhere else, what would you call it? Yeah, Congressman, uh, let me just say, and I'm not advocating for the bill, but it's about so much more than just COVID relief. You're right, a smaller percentage than might you might think does go directly to COVID, although it pays for distribution of the vaccine. But let's look at, say, $300 a week uh, to continue unemployment benefits for millions of people. That was going to run out. That's a good thing. You support that, I'm sure. Michael, again... The problem is not the 9% that goes to help the folks that have suffered from COVID. The problem is the 91% that goes for things that are totally unrelated. Not only do I support helping the folks that have suffered from COVID, I voted for $2,000, not for $1,400 that this has. Yeah. We could have gotten a bipartisan bill if it would have been a bill dealing with the effects of COVID. The 91% of the $1.9 trillion that goes to deal with issues that have nothing to do with COVID that I would tell you is totally unacceptable. Well, is, is it, is it Congressman, is it, is it unacceptable that children who live in poverty, millions of children, maybe 27 million kids, that their parents are gonna get $300 a month to help them pay for childcare and other expenses, which Michael, they really can't pay for? Michael, I just, I, I, you may not have heard me, Things that deal with folks, uh, it, it, you know, again, less than 9% of the bill goes to deal with anything related to COVID. I, as I, let me just repeat what I just said. I supported $2,000 a month, uh, which could have gotten and had bipartisan support. It's the 91% of this bill, almost $2 trillion, that goes to, for example, uh, let me just give you another example. Uh, we have this huge fight every year on transportation, you know, that I'm, I spend a lot of time on and housing issues to try to make sure that Florida gets its fair share. Florida gets a much smaller chunk of this bill. Uh, other states get a lot more money. The states that, by the way, are poorly run. And for example, this helps the bailout governors like Cuomo that we all know now uh, is, well, is the problem that he is. Uh, while Floridians get the smaller part, the smaller chunk of the money. If this was any other bill and and the Florida delegation would have allowed that to happen, the two of you would have had us on the on this on the show saying, yeah, how could you guys vote for something like that? Congressman, I excuse me, Glenn, I just need to jump in and say, you know, we may be getting less than our population deserves, but Miami-Dade County is going to get $526 million. Broward County is going to get $378 million. That's not chump change. That's a lot of money. It's a much, as you just mentioned, Michael, it's a much smaller percentage than other states who are getting a lot more just because, I guess, they are, I don't know, friends of Nancy Pelosi. Including, actually, for example, um, the, the calculation, Cuomo. Congressman, the calculation that you, the calculation you're talking about is Florida gets less because 
because the state's been open, because there is less unemployment, the calculation that doles out based on unemployment, that's why Florida is getting less. Florida, so when yes, people say that the state is, quote unquote, punished because of a, a lower unemployment rate, technically that would be true in this case. But my question to you is, um, Senator Rick Scott advises Florida to give it back. Do you agree? Loretta, Florida is getting less because Florida's leadership did a better job. But if you look, if it would have been done by COVID cases, if it would have been done on anything having to do, again, we're going back to the same issue with COVID, this is supposed to be a COVID bill, Florida would have done much better. And again, th this is 91% of this bill goes to graph to basically borderline corruption. Not a little part of it. Well, explain that. What's borderline Yeah, what borderline corruption are you talking about? Detail that. When, yeah, give us when, a specific. When, Michael, when you're, again, when you're talking about 91% of this bill going to things that have nothing to do with what they call the bill, this is a COVID relief bill. You all have been talking about a COVID relief bill. What do you call that? What do you call that? At least it's an outright lie to the American people. So let's just get straight. This is not a COVID bill. This is a anything but COVID well, but bill. It's a, they put the name it's, COVID. Congressman, it's I not really it's about absolute uh, lie. Yeah, Congressman, it's really not. Let's not argue about terminology. I mean, the president calls that the American Rescue Plan. Let me just ask you like a specific question: uh, When you and your wife Tia go out for dinner, maybe you go to a restaurant near your home, and the restaurant owner comes up to you and says, gee, Congressman, that's great that the Congress, you know, finally is gonna help me get over the hump here. I've nearly had to close my restaurant. I am gonna get a payment, you know, from this bill that you passed, but you didn't vote for it. What do you say to that restaurateur? I would have said I voted for five bills to help people and small businesses precisely like this. This bill, is a fraud, Michael. It doesn't, the most, the vast majority of the money doesn't go to help people like you're just talking about. That's what the other bills did and what had bipartisan support now to do. It's the 90, again, I, I don't see, I, 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 this is not getting through for some reason. 91% of this bill has nothing to do with some of the issues that you're bringing up. Those are COVID related issues. 91% of this bill goes to museums. It goes to things that have nothing to groups out there that have nothing to do with dealing with the crisis that is still going taking place, which is COVID. That is precisely the problem. See, you keep talking about the issues for COVID. That has support. It's the 91% of the $1.9 trillion that you seem to be ignoring. All right. So there are other issues we want to hear from you, especially immigration. You are so involved in that and so important to South Florida. So we're going to ask you to sit tight and we're going to continue our discussion right after the break. Thank you. We are back with Miami-Dade Republican Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart. want to talk to you, Congressman, about what's going on at the border this week. The Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has directed FEMA to assist what is being called a surge at the border, especially unaccompanied minors and families. Uh, we are watching the Homestead facility. We had inklings that it might be uh, reopened. So far, there's no sign of that. But 
Um, this week, your colleagues are going to the border. It's being called by one side a crisis, by the other side a challenge. You are so involved in a bipartisan effort for humane and legal immigration. Give us your take on what is transpiring as we speak. Yeah, Glenn, I, and, and so you have a, a now number of Democrats were saying that this is a crisis and that it's, uh, look, this is a, a combination of, of, of reckless uh, rhetoric by the administration uh, and bad policy. So we have uh, historic numbers. And by the way, when you're talking about this crisis, let's talk about what it is. It's, for example, a large uh, numbers of, of young girls who are now being sexually abused and raped on the way here, not once they get to the United States, on the way here. That's what this is actually causing. And so uh, it's what happens when you say things without understanding the implications. Uh, we need to fix this in a bipartisan way. I hope the administration is willing to kind of go back on some of the poor decisions that they've made that have helped uh, create this crisis. Um, and I'm, so again, there were some issues that were working that the Trump administration had done. They should go back to those and then negotiate in a bipartisan way uh, to have a final long-term solution. Yeah. Uh, Congressman, let me ask you also about uh, TPS for Venezuelans. You have advocated for that for the last couple of years. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump, talked a good game on TPS, spoke in favor of uh, uh, Juan Guaido and for democracy in Venezuela. Joe Biden, finally his administration granted TPS. Uh, and you issued a statement in which you said, yeah, this is a good thing, but you also had a few reservations. What was it about this grant of TPS that you didn't like? No, I like the granting of TPS, but I think it's important to note that the Venezuelans already were granted DED uh, by the Trump administration. The only difference between DED and TPS for the Venezuelans and, and here in Florida is how it's granted. It, it gives the same protections. It gives work permits. Uh, it, it stops the deportations. Uh, but by the way, it's less expensive for those who are applying to do DED than TPS. So there's very little difference. There's actually no difference for the Venezuelans uh, here for what Trump had already granted and now what uh, Mr. Biden has done. Well, so it's slightly... great that Mr. Biden did the same thing that Trump did. Yeah, excuse me. I thought, you know, um, a TPS grants a little wider a latitude to those who receive it. They got the right to work, the right to live uh, freely and without deportation. Uh, what President uh, Trump, former President Trump, granted the last day he was in office simply prevented deportations. Isn't that right? That's actually, uh, Michael, yes, that's not accurate. Uh, DED that Trump provided to the Venezuelans provides work permits. It provides uh, stop from deportation. It provides legality. The only difference is, is again, how it's, it's it's who gives it, not how it's not what it does. There's no difference for Venezuelans here living in Florida under DED and TPS, except that DED is less expensive for the Venezuelans. But again, so basically what Trump already did, Biden did again. And so I'm grateful that he agreed with what uh, President Trump did. No difference. But I'm glad that uh, that that uh, again, uh, Mr. Biden agreed with what, what President Trump did. Uh, it took Biden, again, um, you know, he was in the White House for eight years, didn't grant it. It took Trump four years, again, a little bit too long. Uh, so I'm glad that both of them now have agreed with, again, my legislation for years to grant, uh, you know, legal status while permanent. Uh, for the Venezuelans here in so the United States. In the, uh, in the minute that we have left, you know, Venezuela becomes the 11th country for which its nationals are eligible for TPS now. Um, Haitians, Salvadorans, 
have been eligible for TPS up until the Trump administration ended it, but because of a court injunction, it remains in place. Do you have do you have a perspective on whether those countries TPS should be extended? I know I I favor uh, TPS or DED. We have a group of Liberians that have been under DED in the United States for multiple decades. Uh, you know those are folks who have their roots here. Uh, so I've always supported uh, trying to make sure that we have a legal process where people that are doing the right thing uh, can remain in the United States to work to, to, to you know, to, to provide uh, and to pay taxes, et cetera. So I've always been supportive of it under certain circumstances. And I think the folks that you just mentioned uh, deserve it under those circumstance, circumstances, which is why I've always supported it. Yeah. Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, always a pleasure to have you on our always. program. Come back uh, <laughs> as often as you can. We appreciate it. Thank you. Likewise, thank you so much. Thanks. As we were just saying, Venezuelans here across the U.S. may now apply for a TPS in the U.S. And what that changes and what it does not, we're going to get the perspective of a diplomat on the front lines. And that's next. We've been talking about it. Game changer this week for Venezuelans in South Florida and across the U.S. Temporary protected status that allows them and those eligible to live and work legally without fear of deportation. And late this week, I talked about it with Carlos Vecchio, the ambassador to the U.S. for opposition leader Juan Guaido, widely recognized as Venezuela's interim president. Uh, ambassador, uh, on Monday, the Biden administration, obviously, as we know, uh, declared TPS for Venezuelans in this country, about 320,000. How big is this? How important? Now, this is a very important decision taken by the Biden administration. We thank President Biden for granting TPS for Venezuelans. This will uh, alleviate the situation of Venezuelans here in the U.S. Uh, this uh, measure will benefit at least close to 3,000 Venezuelans in the U.S., and will allow them to stay here legally. They will be able to work and they will avoid deportation. So this will create certainty to the Venezuelan diaspora to handle uh, the situation here in the U.S. But at the same time, in a moment which is quite complicated, uh, which is the pandemic. So this, is, uh, this measure came in the right time, in the right moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ambassador, it seems to me, obviously not as a Venezuelan, as an American, but there's some ambivalence about this, I would imagine, for you, for Venezuelans. It, yes, it's a welcome humanitarian gesture. At the same time, it's a reminder that the regime of Nicolas Maduro is still in power. You know, I, I don't see it that way. I think uh, this is a recognition of the reality that we are facing. Uh, from the humanitarian point of view. And this is a decision that will alleviate that uh, situation. But at the same time, the Biden administration has sent clear messages against the Maduro regime. And they have said clearly that we need to find a political solution, which is a democratic transition, and that they will put all the pressure in order to achieve it as soon as possible. So I think we can work together at the same time. But also, it is important to highlight that the diaspora, the diaspora here in Venezuela, with this protection, now will be more uh, uh, stable in order to help us to raise the voice in favor of the Venezuela and to bring more people, uh, congressmen, senators, 
and the institution of the United States to put more pressure to find a political solution in Venezuela. Well, is the political solution, does it remain Juan Guaido and the opposition because the Maduro government has given no indication that it's really going to negotiate with them or with anybody else? Well, uh, you know, he, uh, he's a dictator. Uh, we need to push for, for a transition in Venezuela. Um, we need to increase the level of pressure, not only from abroad, but also internally. And we are not facing only Nicolás Maduro. I mean, this situation has become more complicated because we are dealing with a criminal organization in power, which is um, allied with the ELN, the dissidents from parts, and also because has been supported by Cuba, Russia, and China. And for that, we need to keep you know, the unity inside, but at the same time, we will need the support of the international community to force for a negotiation, for effective negotiation, that can lead us for a transition and to call for a presidential election in Venezuela as soon as possible. Yes. Well, we know that the United Nations estimates 94% of Venezuelans live in poverty. I mean, there is uh, hardly access to adequate food and water, uh, medical supplies. And now I read that there is a, a shortage of diesel fuel uh, in Venezuela and trucks are lined up for miles and all the good services uh, food that they would deliver, they're not being able to deliver it. So it's one more terrible strike against the people of Venezuela. Absolutely. I mean, we are facing the worst humanitarian crisis in the last 100 years in this hemisphere. And this is a man-made disaster created by Maduro. Um, that's why we, we have been saying that we need to work in more humanitarian aid to Venezuela. But that won't be enough. The real solution, the real help for Venezuelans is just providing for a transition, putting pressure in order to force a transition, a democratic transition as soon as possible in, in our country. So we need to keep that in mind. And, and this measure of the TPS, you know, tells you, you know, how uh, the situation in Venezuela is, how complicated it is. And that's why we got this uh, protection for the Venezuelans right here. But at the same, but again, uh, the important thing is keeping the focus. It's just force for a transition in Venezuela because that's the best humanitarian aid that we can provide to Venezuela. Yeah. Um, Ambassador Vecchio, um, Juan Guaido burst on the scene 2018, 2019. There was a moment where it looked like he was going to democratically become the legitimate elected president of Venezuela. Uh, where does it stand now? Because Mr. Guaido honestly seems to be at an impasse, not moving forward, not moving back. Uh, I mean, this just seems to be in stasis. You know, as I said to you, I mean, Juan Guaido as an interim president is there. No, no, because somebody put him there. It's because our constitution, um, our constitution is so clear that uh, it says that when you don't have a, a legitimate president, which is the case, Maduro is not the legitimate president of Venezuela, the president of the National Assembly had to take that position. And that's what he did. And, uh, and as I said to you at the beginning, uh, this has become more complex due to the real nature of this regime. And because we are not facing only uh, Maduro, we are facing China, we are facing Russia, yeah. we are facing Cuba, we are facing, you know, a, a, a terrorist group inside of Venezuela. Uh, and that's why we have seen so, we have said so clear that we cannot do it alone. We need the so support of the international community, but we are there and we will keep, you know, the, united the people of Venezuela to move forward. And one, 
thing, things which is very important in my view. More than 85% of the people of Venezuela are looking for a change. They want a change. And that, that is there. It's, 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 um, it's the majority of the Venezuelans who want to have a, a, a transition in our country. So we need to create the, the mechanisms, the channels, in order to, 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 to help the Venezuelans to express freely uh, as soon as possible. Yeah, we understand, Ambassador. Uh, the United States, both the Trump administration, now the Biden administration, has been imposing economic sanctions on individuals uh, within PDVSA, within the government, and other business people who we believe, the government believes, have acted deceitfully, criminally, and so the pressure is on. But in some ways, it seems the people really paying the price are the Venezuelan people. Uh, they can't get the food, the medicine, their currency is really almost worthless. So the pressure the United States and others are putting on the country, uh, is it working? You know, the worst sanctions that Venezuela uh, uh, have is uh, Maduro. So we need to get rid of the dictatorship because this uh, disaster was created by Maduro. You can lift all the sanctions today and the problem will remain as it is because all the crisis started long before any sanction was imposed on the Maduro regime. And, and therefore, the key issue is just lifting uh, the dictatorship. And I think that will be the main focus. Um, and also, we need to keep this in mind. Uh, it falls the premises which uh, says that, you know, putting resources in the hand of Maduro will help the Venezuelan people. No, 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 it will feed the elite, the regime. Uh, it will be the corrupt people surrounding the regime. So that, that um, resources won't, won't go to the people. So in certain way, these um, sanctions has um, avoided, you know, uh, that the Maduro regime, regime continues with, uh, with the looting of our assets inside of Venezuela. Yeah. So uh, again, the, the main problem of Venezuela is not the sanctions. The main problem uh, yes. the, is Maduro. Si, entiendo, <laughs> we understand. <laughs> And uh, would you very briefly, I know we have Venezuelans uh, in this in South Florida watching. Would you like to say something briefly in Spanish to them? Yes, I will say to them that this beneficio TPS eh, los va a ayudar a estar legalmente, a trabajar y no ser deportado. Tienen desde el 9 de marzo y seis meses en adelante para poder aplicar este beneficio. Así que esto es una gran oportunidad para todos ustedes, para que puedan... Eh, aprovechar este beneficio y puedan estar legalmente y puedan darle estabilidad a su familia. Yeah, bien dicho. Thank you very much, Ambassador Carlos Vecchio. Hope to see you in South Florida soon. No, thank you very much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. grateful you spent your hour with us even after one hour less sleep on daylight savings times uh, remember we are online all the time 24 7 at local10.com and remember as always stay informed get involved and have a great sunday